reading of the scriptures from Genesis chapter 30, reading uh, beginning in verse 25 through the end of the chapter, and may God give both uh, grace in the reading and in the hearing of his holy word. As soon as Rachel had borne Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when I shall provide for my own household also, he said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. For if you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will be the answer for me later, when you come to look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and the black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks towards the striped and and all the black in the flocks of Laban. And he put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flocks. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. And that's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you now to join me in another time of prayer. Father, again, we come to you uh, with praise and thanksgiving for your love and kindness. We worship the Son, our King, and Prince of Peace, and the Spirit, the giver of life, and who guides us in the way of righteousness. Thank you for your fatherly care, providing for us our daily bread and all things needful for life and godliness. Uh, We pray this morning for those not here because of sickness or infirmity, uh, 
be near to them and gracious, uh, watch over us, uh, bless our families, our children, our grandchildren with the great gift of saving faith. Uh, bless us as a congregation that we might be salt and light in the community where you have placed us, uh, that uh, those outside the church and the faith might see us to see our love and our devotion to Christ and through the ministry of the word and in serving they might be one to Christ. Uh, we know how important the word is to us and to our lives and so we ask now for your blessings upon the word uh, from your holy word and may the spirit go forth to take this word in power uh, to accomplish every purpose for which you send it to us today, that we might leave this place full, having met with you in the divine word, and to be strengthened and uh, given wisdom from the word for living in a fallen world as we journey from here to the world beyond and to the great kingdom of heaven. Bless Phil. We thank you for him, uh, the gift of his service to us. We thank you for his devotion to you, and now bless him as he holds forth from this passage in Genesis to our welfare, that we might grow in grace and knowledge in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers. All of us uh, as adults have um, certainly on occasion uh, worked for um, bad bosses. Uh, and maybe even uh, worked in a job for which we were very unhappy. Um, and it's interesting in this text, that's exactly what uh, Jacob is going through. He doesn't like his boss, and he's not really happy about the job that he has uh, because of his boss. And yet, um, he does something that is a marvel, it's very unique, uh, as the text uh, unravels before us. Bad bosses and uh, jobs that we don't necessarily uh, like uh, can be challenging, uh, frustrating, and sometimes deeply upsetting. Uh, ultimately, of course, uh, a question mark regarding our faith. Uh, I remind all the uh, young people before us that um, I assure you that this uh, is a a picture into a measure someday of your own future. So it's good to learn from the scriptures. But there is uh, the great promise in every event, uh, good or evil, uh, rain or drought, and that is the countervailing force for the sons of God. Uh, that God is always with them. His hand is uh, always upon them. And he will uh, always, always take care of his sons because he is their heavenly father. Uh, and he will prosper his sons as he wills. So in spite of himself, God blesses Jacob and causes him to prosper uh, in this uh, quite strange event. Uh, if you will, our text is something of a transition from uh, the building of Jacob's family uh, to his prosperity so that he can care for his family. 
Uh, and in this particular text, verses 25 to 34, Jacob negotiates a new employment contract uh, knowing that God will bless him, irrespective of the circumstances. So, uh, one of the reasons that uh, he can act in such a way is he has revelation that is explicit to that end. Uh, he knows, for example, from uh, the oral trend, uh, tradition that would have been passed down to him uh, that uh, God uh, blessed his forefather Abraham. Genesis 12, chapter 1 to 3. And God blessed Isaac, his father. Uh, he knows about the dream that occurred uh, in Genesis 28, verse 13 and following, where God promises to bless his sons. Uh, in particular, the overarching a legal document over all of this promise is the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, contextually, Jacob has fulfilled his 14-year contract for his two wives. Uh, it was a difficult time for him because Laban, as you know, had cheated him out of seven years. Tricked him out of seven years. Long period of time to suffer with that. Uh, I would remind uh, all of us in this text, one of the dangers and vagaries of our culture is that we seemingly can, think, can, can make things happen very, very quickly. You want to delete something on your computer? You just hit a single key and it's seemingly gone. Uh, you want to add something? You hit the right key and it's there. You can cut and paste to your delight and things seemingly happen very, very quickly, instantaneously almost. But part of the lesson in this text is that God works in different ways. It's not that He can't work instantaneously. He certainly can. But generally, usually, mostly, almost always, He works over time. Over time. And sometimes long periods of time. It creates a challenge for the Son of God. One of the great injunctions in all of the Scriptures is to learn to wait upon the Lord. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a very difficult thing for a modern man to do, to wait upon the Lord. Because we're in a hurry. We need to be careful. Nevertheless, Jacob has been a good employee and prospered his boss. Therefore, in good times and bad times, we trust God. I would remind you as well that work our work as employees, wherever you work, is in a measure a witness to your boss and to all your other employees. Uh, somewhat amused, and I don't know, a couple weeks ago, I read this article in Wall Street Journal about quiet quitting. You're unhappy, so you just quietly begin to disengage. Christian can't do that. Uh, because we are to be good employees. We're to render proper, worthwhile service to our boss. And it is a witness. Uh, we should also have a high, high, high view of work because it adds value to our lives and it's a means that God gives to us so that we can feel a sense of value in our lives. 
Uh, I mean, I understand there's all these government programs, unemployment insurance. There's a place for that. I'm not necessarily saying that it's wrong, but sometimes people take advantage of it. Uh, it's not just that they're taking advantage of the American taxpayer, whatever the case might be, Oklahoma taxpayer. They're really taking advantage of themselves because they're degrading themselves. Uh, part of the curse is we work. But we work faithfully and diligently to give a good account to our employer as a witness. Uh, now there's a change in uh, Jacob's life, and that is the birth of Joseph, who himself will become the son of promise. It's a trigger for Jacob to return home, so he begs leave of Laban. Uh, but Laban wants him to stick around. Imagine that. Why? Because he's enriched Laban. If you look at uh, look at verse 27. Laban said to him, uh, If now it pleases you, stay with me, for I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. So Laban knows. Now the word divination, uh, obviously Christians are not allowed to divine uh, from pagan sources uh, to say nothing of uh, the spirit world. Uh, we, we have our revelation in Holy Scripture. Um, Divination is a pejorative term, forbidden of the Israelites, uh, and forbidden for us as well. God reveals our future in Scripture uh, and not through pagan sources and means. Very popular in our day. Uh, you know, 150 years ago, or even probably 100 years ago, you wouldn't find a fortune teller in American culture, but you find them now because we're becoming all the more pagan. And it's, uh, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Um, be careful. Uh, learn to love the Scriptures and give attention to them. They'll tell you what you need to know. So Laban says to Jacob, we'll name your price. It's enticement because Jacob has a large family. Uh, imagine caring for 11 children. Some of you, some of you have, but uh, it is a challenge. And challenge to him... Uh, he had little material blessings with which to provide for them. Um, but uh, he, he takes, uh, Laban's, uh, takes Laban's bait because he knows. What does he know? That God causes his sons to prosper in his own time, in his own way to be sure. But he takes care of his sons. So his response is, remove all the abnormally colored animals uh, and their off-colored offspring will be my wages. Uh, now again, I remind you, uh, um, Jacob uh, did not get a degree in genetics uh, from the university. Uh, the Bible is not a genetics handbook. Uh, but what the Bible is, is that God is in control of DNA and genetics. And that we will learn from this text to be sure. The result of the contract in 35 to 43 is that God blesses Jacob. Imagine that. It's what God does for his sons. So Laban agrees. <laughs> and, and, and then he does what the natural man does. He tricks him and exploits him. Imagine that. Difficult working environment. 
difficult boss. He has his sons remove all the off-colored uh, and uh, gives the rest or the normal stock to Jacob so that their abnormal offspring will be his wage with the presumption that it will be very, very small. So he stacks the deck against Jacob, taking advantage of him. There is nothing like the experience of having your employer take advantage of you. Um, but it happens, and that's exactly what is here. And Jacob is going to stay the course because he uh, has a greater boss uh, who engineers all of life, trusts him. Uh, Jacob is conciliatory because he knows that God will prosper him. Fair or unfair, God is able to overrule because he's the, he's the sovereign. You can fret about a bad boss all day long, or maybe it's someone you just don't like being around in the office. But again, be a good employee. God is able to overrule, protect you. Uh, the ancients uh, believed that if there was some visual marker during mating, it would imprint on the embryo. It's kind of silly, but again, long ago and far away. Uh, that was their belief, and Jacob is going to use uh, that belief. So he takes tree branches and peels strips of bark, exposing uh, the bare wood, places the branches at watering holes uh, during mating season. As stock is uh, born, he uses the off-colored animals and, instead of the branches and separates out the good stock from the bad. Uh, but make no mistake, it's not the silly means that God uses. It's kind of silly to us, but again, these were ancient times. It works because God made it work. And over a period of six years, something remarkable happens. Very remarkable happens. The wealth of Laban was transferred to Jacob. Keep in mind, is God is able to turn the tables. God is able to right wrongs. I understand it's difficult to wait. But that is the God that we worship and serve. Again, the means Jacob uses are myth. Uh, but the point is that God is the one that's working, not the myth, putting a bunch of sticks uh, around watering holes. He can use myth, but we cannot. I remind you of that. Uh, Lest you think that this is all silly, history is filled with events like this. Uh, but it's our reminder, and something that I think our own culture has, has forgotten and lost, that we need to judge people by the times in which they lived and not by our times and our standards. Uh, the secondary point is irony. I say that because Laban's name is derived from the Hebrew verb to be white. And now all these off-colored animals are being born uh, from his, uh, his stock. And behind it all, it's not the myth, it's the animal husbandry that who is the sovereign? God is controlling and manipulating to take care of his son. In other words, he gets what he deserved. Laban did. 
He gets white sheep of questionable stock. More importantly, his divine providence intervened to overrule natural law to make a recessive gene dominant, which is something God did in this circumstance. The final verse documents that Jacob had a breakout couple of years. Look at verse 43. So the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. So God takes what belonged to Laban, transfers it to his son. I'm not saying it always works out that way in our lives, but that is not the point. The point is, is that God is at work. He is always at work. His eye is always upon us. And men are going to trick us and cheat us and lie to us and steal to us. But God is able to overrule and turn to our good whatever happens in this unjust and wicked world. Because He is our God and Father. And we are His sons always takes care of his sons. The final verse, again, documents this breakout year. The Hebrew Bible is if very literally, and we don't, we don't translate it literally because it would be confusing, but the literal rendition is uh, he broke out very, very. In other words, he got smashingly rich. In other words, he became exceedingly prosperous with large flocks. But notice, notice the parallel from where we have come from. Uh, his father and grandfather had very little. How'd they get rich? They were smart? No. God was their God. Let's go back to uh, Genesis chapter 12 uh, in verse 16. Therefore he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. Uh, chapter 26, uh, verse 12 and 13. Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. Uh, 27, uh, 28. Now may God give you of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. Uh, God took care of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That's what God does for sons. It's also a parallel incident in Abraham's life. It's very important. Uh, when Lot is taken captive, uh, Abraham presumes, uh, pardon me, pursues the coalition of kings with a little over 300 men. There's like five kings, and he's going up against them with 300 plus men. He's so numerically outnumbered as to make the outcome suspect. He's the victor. Why? Because uh, he studied uh, 
the history of uh, tactics in the university because he knew uh, military strategy, having studied it and been a soldier himself? No, he was victorious because of God. Uh, He was the victor because because of God. Let's go back to chapter 14, uh, verses 19 and 20. Reminder of God's providence. Reminder of His sovereignty. Melchizedek, the high priest, comes out to bless Abraham. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tenth of all. Victory is entirely of God. Uh, Abraham simply used the means that he had. Outnumbered as he was, but God gave him the victory nonetheless. Uh, now, it's not to suggest you can presume upon God. Uh, you should use the means, the rightful means that he sets before you. Uh, but in the end, sometimes uh, you'll be outnumbered, outclassed. That's God's business to overrule. Uh, you and I as Christians who live in a spiritual world of unprecedented danger, fight always outnumbered. But we fight with God. And one man with God is the majority all the time. We walk by faith. It's an ancient lesson that we don't walk by what we see. We walk by faith. We trust our sovereign God for the outcome. Over and over throughout the book of Genesis, God is the creator. He doesn't create and go to sleep. He doesn't uh, create, uh, go on vacation. He's always the creator. Uh, And he can turn events as he wills to turn them. And he can make what is unjust, just. And regardless, we, we are to walk by faith and not by sight. Well, this is more than just an ancient history lesson. I know, I know some of you are saying, well, did that for Jacob. He ain't done it for me. No, slow down a little bit. We too are sons of promise. And God blesses us too. God always blesses his sons. Uh, Chiefly, the material blessings and promises of the Old Testament are chiefly, not all the time, but chiefly in the New Testament times, spiritual blessings. Um, for example, Ephesians uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Every spiritual blessing, nothing withheld. Uh, Lots of American Christians believe in a second work of grace. That verse is their nemesis. We get it all. Over time to be sure. But every spiritual blessing is ours because of Christ. Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 19. 
Speaking of the church, Paul writes to the church, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are of God's household. We're the sons of God. He will take care of his household. Uh, greater promise to us is also a future reality. That our future is just as certain. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7. Paul writes, In order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So we have the lessons of past history, the scriptures, the present reality, and the future as well. We too are sons of promise. But there's also a sense and a tension that the blessings are in a measure material as well. I was amazed uh, one day uh, I heard my dear mother ask my dear father, when will we be rich? It's a great question. <laughs> Only an American, but nonetheless, my mother was a godly woman. But I guess it beats in all of our hearts. Uh, my father's reply was, we already are. And he was true to the mark. If you've ever traveled in third world countries, you, you will learn what true poverty is. Absolutely incredible. I remember as a little boy, uh, driving through the small villages in the vast jungles of Venezuela. It, it, it was astounding, the poverty. I mean, your heart broke for the little children. I barely had enough sense to know that. But it was imprinted upon me. Uh, if you know world history, we are richer today than 99% of the history of civilization. Incredible. Uh, as Christians... Uh, it's no small measure due to virtue and the fruits of the Spirit. I would happen to believe in terms of church history in a measure in America. Uh, in many respects, uh, we are the beneficiaries of the Puritan work ethic that came from England, landed on our shores, who trusted the sovereignty of God, uh, and who worked diligently under adverse circumstances, to be sure. The virtue and the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, when you think of virtue, I think of virtue a lot because uh, it is being vacated for our, from our culture, and it will lead us to ruin. Uh, where is the virtuous man or woman? We know from Scripture that virtue is critical reality. Uh, I used to tell soldiers in my command when they would come to interview for a job because they'd been placed in my unit. 
Look, if you don't know your job, we can teach you. But virtue works all the time. Be a hard worker. Be honest. Let your word be your word. You tell somebody you're going to be somewhere, be there. Because that's what makes the army go around. It's what makes any organization go around. You absent virtue out of any organization, I promise you, they will eventually self-destruct. We have virtue because of the great creative work of God in the Holy Spirit. For example, think of just one, patience. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. In a miraculous sense, Jacob had patience. We should have patience. Makes things work. Not being in a hurry. Uh, by the way, you want to get poor? Uh, try to get rich quick. And I promise you, you will get poor very quickly. Uh, had a businessman once tell me, Phil, get rich slowly. Now, he was just being a wise mentor. I'm, I'm not here to teach you his lessons about life. Uh, but the important point is uh, virtue is a product of the work of the Spirit in our hearts. And virtue will make you an outstanding employee. Show up on time. To render good service as a good employee, as a witness to everyone around you, which all of us are in our places of employment. Think of this virtue, the fear of the Lord. is the beginning of wisdom. It's also a, a long-term path to wealth. Let's, uh, let's look at some scriptures to this end. Uh, Psalm 25, verses 12 and 13. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way that he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity. And his descendants will inherit the land. Think of this. Our virtue also protects us from envy. Because we give attention to our relationship with God. We're not to envy what someone has. Because we know God will provide for us what we need. Uh, let's turn to Psalm 37, verse 7. This is a psalm in which the author is uh, uh, suffering under a measure of envy. Verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself because of Him who prospers in His way. Because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it leads to evil doing. Yet in a little while, the wicked man will be no more, and you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. The word abundant prosperity is, in the Hebrew, uh, the word shalom, peace. Uh, the word is also translated uh, in a broader range of meaning than just peace. Meaning wholeness, completeness, and fulfillment resulting from God's presence. 
And so skip down in the same psalm to verse 25. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. Corollary to Psalm 37, a great corollary, 73rd Psalm. And the author is envious of the wicked. Psalm 73, for I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I mean, that, uh, that's our culture. Uh, we, we envy the uh, great athlete, the handsome model. Why don't I have that? Well, who created you? Be content. Be whole. Rest in the Lord. Wait upon Him. Prosperity is the word shalom. Wholeness. Completeness. As you know, the author goes to the sanctuary, goes to church, and he hears a sermon about their end. And then he confesses. Let's look at verse 23 and following. Nevertheless, I'm continually with thee. Thou hast taken hold of my right hand with thy counsel that will guide me. Verse 25 and verse 26. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee I desire nothing on the earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That really in my mind is the classic definition of extreme wealth. God is my portion. He's the strength of my heart. I have God in heaven who governs the affairs of men. Even the affairs of the wicked and their prosperity. So we have the presence of God. He guides us. He will lead us to glory. Because of Christ our Redeemer, all of the promises are intensified and desires move more and more heavenward. And I would remind you of a very telling fact. The richest man in all of the world outside of Jesus Christ is indescribably poor. He is a vagrant. And he will be one throughout eternity. The greatest riches you have is the Gospel. The Redeemer of your soul. The love of your heart regarding the great spirit world. Greatest riches in all the world. Remind you of the Gospel. Absent Christ, we are lost forever. Our souls will never perish. We die, we'll be ushered into punishment. But we will have a body resurrected and yet all tattered and broken. And it will suffer because we are outside of the gift of God in Jesus Christ. All of us who are the sons of God have uh, confessed our sins to Him. We have fled to Him for shalom. 
He is our shalom. We are whole and complete in him. We have the greatest riches in all the world in the majesty of the simplicity of one word, forgiveness. Forgiveness. That's rich. And glory will come in due time in the interim, treasure of the gospel. Treasure the virtue that is the product of the fruit of the Spirit. And learn to wait upon the Lord. And ask Him to give you what He gives to you in the Spirit. Patience. And faithfulness. Fruit of the Spirit. Faithfulness. To wait upon Him. And in due time, God will work. You will prosper. But hold fast to spiritual prosperity. For that is the greatest wealth in all the world. Our world is uh, becoming all the poor because uh, our culture is vacating virtue at such a pace as almost to be indescribable. Uh, So we should treasure all the more and not envy, but rather to set our hopes and our eternal end on the great God of heaven and His Son, Jesus Christ, who gives us the promise that He will bless all of the sons of God.